Well, that's new. Hey, everybody, it's your host, Felipe. Uh, you're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. And with me, as always, is Sean Flannery. Sean, how you doing? I'm awesome. I'm just cracking up over here at that recording in progress. Thank yeah, you, that. Zoom, for the new feature and not telling us about it. That f- freaked me out. <laughs> it I freaked thought, me out, too, man. I thought we, we got hacked into it. That's <laughs> the thing with Zoom. Like last year, they, they were notorious for... Uh, for these meetings easily getting hacked and zoom not acting accordingly on time so i'm yeah so that i thought we were getting hacked honestly (laughs) like great just when we were starting but yeah uh thank you guys for joining us this afternoon if you're on the baseball live facebook group we are live uh later in the afternoon as opposed to in the morning as uh uh well first and foremost i I needed a break from yesterday's uh, festivities as i was out and about in the city for the first time in a long time sean due to the pandemic but i got in the city yeah and for me (laughs) in the city is it's a hell of a trek because i'm all the way like maybe 25 30 minutes away from it in 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 suburban chicago so i got to see uh uh, the chicago fire play the miami uh whatever the hell they are the inter miami uh they call themselves inter miami like ooh, ooh, how fancy (laughs) Enter Miami, bunch of losers over there. They, but dude, they came in droves yesterday. I didn't realize that there's a traveling section of Miami or, or uh, MLS fans that just go from city to city to uh, root for their own team. And they were like mostly sitting up in the in the nosebleed section. But there must have and, been. Like, and you could hear them. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. Uh, they, listen, if you guys have never been to an MLS Major League Soccer game, I highly suggest you go. They're a lot of fun. They were. I, the one I went to, I was thoroughly shocked how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, I, there was a there was a soccer player for the LA Galaxy. I forgot who who he was, but he was an international player. So he's thinking to himself, "Oh, it's just MLS. Who cares? It'll be calm. Nobody cares about soccer in America." He goes into his first game uh, playing for the LA Galaxy, and he's like, "Wow, I didn't realize how rabid these soccer fans in America are." And maybe at one point in MLS's history, that might have been the case that you know Americans are just you know laid back and calm. They're not as serious as as a European and the Latin American contingency. But what this guy wasn't, uh, I, I again shame on me for not remembering the player. But long story short, was it Ibrahimovic? What, I know he I, just went over to LA no, Galaxy. No, this is no, this is more recent. And, okay, uh, so you know if you check, check the LA Galaxy roster, maybe you might uh, you might uh, be able to find that player. Uh, but long story short, basically what he said, what, what the, what the, what the explanation was that what you didn't count on was the South American and Mexican contingent teaching some of these Americans how to root for fan, uh, how to root on their <laughs> soccer team. Uh, cause I don't know if you, if it's true for Atlanta, cause I know Atlanta, it, dude, if you were to tell me the Atlanta United fans would come in droves and, and, and nearly sell out that big ass Georgia, uh, football stadium that usually is, uh, allotted for the Atlanta Falcons. If you were to tell me that they would lead the league in attendance for years and years and stuff, I would not have ever believed you ever. I, I just, I don't know what, I mean, you're, you're an Atlanta United. What is the appeal to the Atlanta United as far as soccer fans go? Well, out? It, it was one of those. They didn't have a team and they got a team. It's a relatively new, I think it was what, like 2014, 15 was like one of their first years. Yeah. And um, they used to be in this tiny little stadium. I mean, it was like a yeah. shoebox. And they packed that thing out. And of course, now, like you said, now, like you said, they're in Mercedes Benz Stadium. And when I went, it wasn't packed out. But I mean, it was loud. It was raucous. It it felt like it was filled. And uh, it's just one of those city accepted the team. And it was one of those, you know, there's not a whole lot of you wouldn't think soccer would be big in Atlanta, Georgia. But, you know, 
it got some people into soccer and they enjoy going to the games and it's an excuse to get cheap seats at one of the nicest stadiums in the United States. So, I just, I don't get it. I mean, they struggle to get Hawk fans to go to their games. The Atlanta Hawks, they, they lost not one, but two NHL teams in their, in the history of that city. Uh, Brave fans are notorious for being casual, you know, very, <laughs> you know, that, and that's just the reputation. I'm sorry, Braves fans. I'm sorry, but that's just the reputation. You guys got to do something to clean because there's more. I think they're more Atlanta fans are more interested in the United than they are in the Braves. There, I said it at least from my vantage point. <laughs> there. Oh, tell me I'm wrong. I, I, I encourage you. Tell I, me I'm wrong. I, I, I would put them probably slightly above the Hawks. I, I don't think they're on Braves level yet, but uh, definitely behind uh, ahead of the Hawks. Well, I'm a Midwestern boy, you know, guy, boy, guy, old man. And the notion is that in the South, where you live, Sean, it's two sports, especially in Atlanta. There's two things that dominate the region. College sports, especially football, and NASCAR. Everything else takes a back seat. That's why I'm shocked that soccer, uh, that the United, the Atlanta United have just taken that team, that town over by storm. It's it's pretty pretty remarkable and, and amazing to see that but yeah go check out mls games are a lot of fun uh there's no uh uh you know how you go to you know normal sporting events here in america with whether it be baseball basketball or hockey there's always something blaring from the pa system in mls it's all organic it's all natural what, what in lieu of the pa system blasting all types of sounds and music you get a P, the fans themselves like playing drums and and just singing yeah. the entire game it is so much fun so yeah that and obviously sean uh has gone before i went yesterday to the fire it was a lot of fun so that's my advice from every from me to everybody else listening today okay hey this is a baseball show right stop talking yeah, soccer yeah. Well, what are we talking about soccer here this is the total bases podcast well, we cover all the bases. Not the sports. total corner kicks, you know. The total corner <laughs> kicks. <laughs> total penalty kicks. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, a couple of things I wanted to talk about before we get to our big beefy topic of the day. Uh, Vince uh, from the Dong City Podcast, uh, they show up Monday. And by the way, uh, can we confirm if we're going tomorrow, right? We're going tomorrow evening yes. after Dong. So, yes. yeah, we're doing back-to-back episodes. Uh, we're recording live on Sunday afternoon. And we're going to record again on Monday night after Dong City. And we're going to take Memorial Day off. So uh, we're bringing you, you guys two back-to-back new episodes of the Total Basis Podcast. Uh, and then that way, everybody can enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. So uh, happy mem- happy early Memorial Day to everybody out there listening today. Okay, so Vince, he brings up uh, something to consider. I'm just going to read it. Are the Mariners the worst-run Major League Baseball franchise? I feel like we hear a lot about the Pirates, the Mets, the Angels, the Marlins, even the Rockies over the years. Oh, that's that's actually my Vince uh, in my mind when he (laughs) writes stuff. Let's do Vince when he's in Dong City. I feel like we hear a lot about the Pirates, the Mets, the (laughs) Angels, the the Marlins, even the Rockies, the years. But only one has not had a playoff window in 20 years, has also dealt away all of its stars, and its heyday and consistently is mediocre or bad. I know this all may change soon with the current farm system, but I don't think Seattle gets enough criticism for how much they suck this century. It seems impossible not to make the playoffs for 20 years. I said (laughs) that's yeah. Sorry for butchering Vince's uh, accent. I love it. You saw that I had to pinch my nose just to get that that deep nasally voice. But anyway, I I don't have a nasally voice for me, but okay. So, um, He brings up a lot of good points. The Mariners are pretty mediocre uh, in the 21st century, but I still can't get past the the Pirates just being 
just so bad at running baseball. And I, and I put in my two cents. I said, it's either going to be the Rockies or the Pirates. And I still say the Pirates because they don't try. Pirates don't try. At least the Mariners try. At least the Mariners are, have found ways to revamp their system a couple of times in the last 20 odd years or so. Sean, who do you think is the worst run major league franchise in the 21st century? I, I do believe the Pirates just because they, they were competent. You know, they had a couple of all-stars. They had a couple of playoff berths. And we all knew that a market team the size that they're in would have to have some sort of on-the-fly rebuild, right? I mean, most of us knew that. It was how poorly they handled the rebuild and just completely played it off like they did nothing wrong. (laughs) When, I mean, they literally doused it in gasoline and took a match, threw it on there, and said, oops, did I do that? Actually, they didn't even say, oops, I did that. They said, do you see like we what we did? This is beautiful. It's a, a nice big piece of flame artwork. And really, it's just a, a, a dumpster fire. That's all a it was. A flaming pile of shit is what it is, Sean. <laughs> it's ahead. like when you're walking through the art museums and be like, here we have the flaming pile of shit uh, painted in 1678 with watercolors. I mean, that, like that, that's, that's what I'm expecting from uh, nutting must be a Japanese uh, a <laughs> Japanese painting. Uh, I, this is the what I responded was, I want to say that at least at Mariners and the Angels, because he did mention the Angels, they at least try. I mean, with the Mariners, I mean, they've tried bringing in free agents, trading for veterans. Uh, they've, ha- they've, they've revamped their farm system numerous times. We just talked about Taiwan Walker uh, not a couple of weeks ago. Taiwan Walker was a big part of that farm system for a long time. Uh, and that's one of the main reasons why Felix Hernandez signed that gargantuan deal. I mean, aside from it being a lot of money, but he's, I mean, what are, one of the things that he said in the press conference was we got a lot of good things coming our way. We got a lot of young players coming our way. This is going to be a really good team for, for years to come. It didn't happen, but Taiwan Walker was one of those reasons why Felix Hernandez felt good about that team. And it didn't, it blew up in everybody's face. And now 2021, and we're starting all over again. Jerry Kalenic, uh, Taylor Trammell, uh, Logan Gilbert, all those guys that we talked about all season long in the farm system. But mainly the Pirates don't try, despite revenue sharing, new stadium, drafting some good prospects that end up excelling elsewhere. I, it ha- I can't. I can't. It has to be them. They're just so poorly run and such a, like you mentioned, they, 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 they try to turn shit into chicken shit. And they just fall all over on it like just all over their face so anyway so that's the pirates uh let us know who you, well i mean i guess it, people have uh, already done it on vince's but i wanted to get our two cents in as well uh so anyway also today is uh i guess 20 years ago philly's legend tommy green pitched a no hitter he threw 10 strikeouts and walked seven guys and it just seems so fitting that 20 years later, we're complaining about there being too many no hitters. And it's the problem is that too many mediocre pitchers are getting new hitters. Well, here's an example of a really awful pitcher getting a no hitter and walking seven guys to do it. I mean, I'm sorry if you walk seven guys, I know it's a no hitter, but you still are allowing people to get on base. And to me, that's just, I believe Santana in his for the Mets, which is still the only one in team history had six. It might have been five, but I believe it was six, and that was what partially led him to have the astronomical pitch count. I think it was like 137, or it was like one 130-something going into the last batter, and I'm like, what is that? Little did I know that in another 10 years, like 
if that were to happen. I mean, Bauer did get to 120 last week, yeah. but that's a, that's a rarity. I mean, that's like that's a more rare than a cycle, I think, <laughs> in today's game. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when you throw when when people make a big deal about about no hitters, and if it and you give me this pitching line, I'm at this point, I'm like, you know what? At this point, a cycle. If a hitter hits for the cycle, that's more impressive than giving up seven walks. I'm also Edwin Jackson. I think he got a ridiculous amount of walks. And uh, I think he had a no hitter as well, where he walked like eight okay. guys or something. Santana's was five walks, eight strikeouts, I'm 16 fly balls, three ground balls. Oh my God. Yeah. So living dangerously. <laughs> yeah. So it, to me, that's that's when a no hitter loses its, uh, its luster, is when. You when a pitcher gives up so many walks, if you get if a pitcher walks like five or six guys, five plus guys, like uh, in their no hitter, I, I feel like that loses its luster. But if a no hitter is being thrown even by a mediocre pitcher and that that pitcher is dominant and is striking out all these guys and limits himself to maybe a walk or two or maybe even a, a hit by pitch guy, I'll that I'm okay with that. I'm okay, even if it's coming from a, a mediocre pitcher, but yeah, I just I can't do this, man. Seven walks. Uh, from a guy and everybody's celebrating it. I mean, I saw a clip and and the Phillies dugout is like celebrating like they just won the Super Bowl against what ended up being a pretty decent uh, Montreal Expos team back in the day. I mean, uh, at this point uh, in 1991, the Expos were 19 and 21 after this game. The Phillies uh, got to 500. But listen to this team. Delano Shields to lead off. Marquise Grissom struck out three times. Ivan Calderon walked twice. So <laughs> Calderon, uh, Andres Galarraga, uh, on base percentage of 313. So yeah, he can't wait to get out of Montreal to get to Colorado. <laughs> Hall of Famer Larry Walker hitting 224 to uh, entering this game. And our guy from you last week, Sean, Tim Wallach, Eli Wallach's <laughs> father. And I double checked. No, he did not play catcher. Third, he uh, never played catcher. Field. Okay. That's mostly interesting. Infield. Yeah. Third base and infield. Uh, and, and here's another name for you. Uh, Oil Can Boyd was pitching for the Montreal Expos in that game. And every time I see Oil Can Boyd uh, show up in the 90s, that always freaks me out. Or It's like, well, you're in the wrong century here, bud. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly. Tommy Green threw 130 pitches and faced 33 batters to get to that no-hitter. So it's so much weirdness. So much weirdness. Uh, Delano Shields got caught stealing. And so, yeah, he got caught stealing. So that helped his cause a lot. And Darren Fletcher uh, got the game-winning RBI in the first inning for the Phillies. And Darren Fletcher has a soft spot in my heart because I used to get his uh, baseball card all the time, and I used to think he was awesome. <laughs> so yeah, that, so so that's uh, that's my uh, two cents. I don't know. What do you think about all these uh, pitchers getting no hitters in 2021 now? I'm indifferent towards it. Yeah, it, the, the, it, it this is simply baseball's always been a game of adjustments, moves yep. and counter moves. This is simply one move. Either teams or Major League Baseball will do something, which will be the counter move, mm-hmm. and then there'll be a adjustment by pitchers and then an adjustment by hitters, and that, that's just where we are. Um, it'll be interesting to see if baseball does intervene because uh, I feel like a lot of the leftover juiced baseballs, quote unquote, they're yeah. in AAA right now because mm-hmm. I am seeing some like balls just carry in while watching some AAA games on you know minor league TV. But it's like maybe we just should filter some of those into Major League Baseball just to see what happens. <laughs> well, that's an interesting, uh, uh, what do you call it? Interesting idea there. Um, we'll see. I mean, 
but this is just years and de- like decade. It's a decade of, of uh, actually a decade and a half of of analytics taking the game over. I mean, I'll, I'll admit that, that this is one way where analytics has uh, has done something to really affect the game, to revolutionize the game. Mm-hmm. That is very obvious, and and it just started with a lot of these major league baseball teams wanted to have a bunch of high velocity, high strikeout guys because why? Because we found out that if you if you put the ball in play like they used to back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, you're asking for trouble because that ball can bounce anywhere. Once that ball leaves the bat, that can go anywhere. I mean, you, you get you get a guy, a slappy hitter like Mick Magical uh, hitting ground balls to shortstop with his speed. That could be anything that could he could reach on base on an error. Or, or the shortstop, a bad shortstop can get an error, and, uh, you know, trying to feel the ball and Nick Magical's on base in that way. And that's just an example. I, I like to use Slappy's name around because we've been using him uh, all season long. We need to get a mascot or like a, a, a bobblehead or something. We, we need a, a Nick Magical trophy. Yeah, get some tchotchkes. We need some tchotchkes for the folks here. Um, but yeah, so they said, well, you know, in the book that Baseball Perspectives uh, uh, came out with uh, back into that in the mid 2000s, uh, something I think it was called Between the Lines. Everything you know about baseball is wrong or some crap like that, which really offended people. But basically, if you the more strikeouts a starting pitcher gets or any pitcher by the, for that matter now that relievers are being utilized more often than not uh, more than ever before. The more strikeouts a pitching staff gets on a, on a single game, the more you limit yourself to those batted balls in play. Uh, from, you know, drop fly balls, drop flop, foul outs, uh, double plays that go wrong. You just limit the chances of something being messed up. So, and this is the result. Now, every pitcher is getting strikeouts. Every pitcher seemingly is getting a no hitter, according to some disgruntled fans. And I, I uh, saw a really good tweet that was uh, Bob Gibson K per nine. Um, one year was like 7.9. And it showed uh, in where that was in like 1960 something. And for, uh, 2021 it had Richard Blyer relief pitcher for the Marlins it said K 8.0 K per nine be like obviously he's a better pitcher I mean he starts clearly. to batters out yeah obviously clearly but again that's another that's why when when Melvin is pretty you know he's pretty good about baseball history but one thing I, I don't agree with him is that he uses every uh statistic at face value when we all known Sean knowing what we know now it's it's just era based. It is so heavily biased towards the era. So one era's one point three one whip is completely different in a different era. I mean, it's still pretty high, but can, all things considered, a one point three one whip in today's uh, I don't know in 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 the steroids era, for example, not too bad. One point three one, you'll take that. You survived. You survived. <laughs> you survived. One point three one. You're a hall of famer. <laughs> in the steroids era I, and and it's it's so yeah everything is it, it's in its proper era everything has to be uh contextualized at all times but to say oh well that guy had a 430 era so he's no good yeah but he pitched in when everybody all the baseball players were juiced so that should be taken into account or another good example for you sean uh in the 1950s uh if you ever look at the at the scoreboard or the league leaders and start amongst the starting pitchers, you'll see a lot of guys with 4.5 uh, really. And first and foremost, a lot of good starting pitchers with 4.5 walk per nine rates. Yeah. I, I know in, you mentioned it with like the 4.3 ERA, even like in recent years uh, in 2019, uh, Trevor Bauer and Noah Syndergaard had, I believe were like one in two in the national league and runs allowed. Okay. And yet they ranked as, like top 15 in war pitchers. So it's, they gave up a lot of runs. Yes. They both had ERAs over four 
but they went deep into games. I mean, Tito Francona before that trade was riding Trevor Bauer into the ground. Noah Syndergaard had a 10 earned run start where he just had to wear it against the Cubs in September of 2019. Mm. And so it's like they have these couple of blow up outings. Bauer had a couple of outings where he gave up like six or seven runs, but it's yes. You look at, if you look at one stat by itself, it's like, Oh, he had a higher rate. He must've been bad. Not necessarily. He went deep into games. When you go deeper into games, you give up more runs, you pitch more innings. So it's, you definitely need context in all stats. uh, Like you said. And then finally, the last point I wanted to make was everybody complaining about, well, these hitters don't know how to hit, right? These, that's why there's no, so many no hitters. Well, we, I've been preaching this to whoever can hear this. When you got a bunch of power pitchers, it's it's just basically teams just saying, oh, well, well, if they're going to come in with power, we're going to counter with more power, power versus power, and see what happens. So that's why you've seen a lot more home runs. That's why you're seeing uh, – but you're seeing less balls in play. But, you know, it's all connected. It's all uh, – It is all, a literal arms race. It's <laughs> – <laughs> So, yeah, so like you mentioned, Sean, we'll see how these teams adjust because this cannot last forever. But just sit back, enjoy, because this this might be coming to an end soon. Stop your bitching, stop your complaining. Enjoy the no-hitters while they still can, while while baseball, uh, while Rob Manfred allows them to be no-hitters. Okay, now we move on to the next thing. And that was, we promised, we have 12 hitters who have disappointed. And basically what I have here uh, is uh, we're in the Baseball Life Fantasy Baseball League, right? And... I, I basically pick one hitter from each of these teams who have not lived up to uh, expectations so far. Uh, uh, and they must be on the roster as of today, May 23rd. Uh, I did not include any catchers because that's too easy. Uh, every catcher sucks. Well, then you should ban the DH. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. And uh, I did not... I did not account too much for draft stock capital or if this player was kept or not because I, I just strictly went with year-to-date uh, performance. I mean, also, most of these guys were drafted in the first 10 rounds easily. Yeah, or, or or they were kept. Or, or top two rounds, like top three rounds. Yeah. But I mostly base it off uh, batting average and on-base percentage. So if you have a low batting average to go along with a low on-base percentage, you're probably going to make that list. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen for everybody to see the spreadsheet that I was working on today. Uh, and let me make that a little bit bigger. And we start out with your guy, Francisco Lindor. <sighs> I had to, man. I mean, if and this, this is on Henry's team. As you can see, the Puerto Rican fl- uh, flowers. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the Puerto Rican colors are flying with pride. But unfortunately, Francisco Lindor is not. With only three home runs, nine RBI. This is net stolen bases. So uh, he, uh, he's he been uh, stealing more bases and getting caught. But $1.99 in the batting average and a three oh seven on base. Um, you're a Mets fan, Sean. How do you feel about Francisco Lindor not living up to expectations? It's almost anticipated. Yeah. Uh, Mets give out a big contract in year one. Things just don't go right. Uh, the only real time in like my memory I remember is like Santana. I mean, mm-hmm. he came right in off the trade. Uh, I think he was signed technically before the trade was approved. They had that window to negotiate. But Carlos Beltran... It wasn't great. He was good in his first year. Carlos Beltran was good in his first year, but a lot of people looked at him as a disappointment. Mm. And then in year two, he really, you know, turned on the jets and just became, you know, borderline hall of famer. Uh, Lindor is struggling in such a way that I would have never expected. 
I was expecting maybe he bats the batting average stays around 250 like it did last year. He mm. doesn't get on base much and he hits a few home runs, stops running. That was what I was expecting. This year, he has the highest walk rate of his entire career. He had never posted a walk percentage over 10%. And this year, he's at 12 and a half. He has the lowest strikeout percentage he's had since 2017. He's not striking out. It's just, he's always, you know, he's a switch hitter. Uh, he's always hit lefties slightly better, hit righties for more power. Uh, but the two things you really got to focus in on with Lindor this year, ground ball rate over 15 or over 50%. Mm. And this is a guy who since his debut line drive percents of 26, 29, 24, 25, 24 and a half. And then 33 last year and his lowest batting average, but he got killed by the shift this year. His line drive percentage, 15%. And that's tanks. That's going to tank your expecting batting average, which he's down to 230 this year on the XBA uh, tanks is real life batting average. He's under 200. He's been going back and forth above and below the Mendoza line. Yeah. It's just, and now with, seven of the other Mets offensive starters out. He's the one guy that pitchers don't have to pitch to, and he hasn't been chasing, hence the high walk rate. And yep. so it's really going to be hard for him to hit his way out of the slump with such a depleted lineup, but that is exactly what the Mets need right now. And probably Henry's fantasy team as well. I know he's doing well, but he would really love that Lindor be the guy that he drafted. And with the depleted lineup, Pitchers aren't going to have to pitch to Lindor. Mm. Why pitch to Lindor when you have Cameron Maben and James McCann batting third behind him, which is just <laughs> embarrassing. Is he, I mean, but, is he leading off regularly? He batted. He led off like the one game when I went and saw him in Atlanta. Uh, he's mainly been batting second. Mm. I would yeah. lead him off. I would lead him off and force these pitchers to actually throw at him and get him more plate appearances. That, that's what I would do. That's what Felipe would do if he was managing, but I don't manage. Put, put on the manager hat, Felipe. I, I have it right here. Uh, as you can see, 216 bad uh, average um, balls in play and expected Woba of 317. So some of the uh, stat cast numbers, uh, they're not, well, I guess the hard hit rate is up, but the barrel rate is at only at 5%. So uh, so I guess what, we just wait for, to see if the Mets get healthy and protect him from, and provide more protection. Is that what it is, Sean? Is yeah, and, and what I was really even worried about, and which is what we saw last year, was he got killed by the shift, you know, uh, batting left-handed, he was shifted on more than 60% of the time. His pull percentage had gone up three straight years. This year as a lefty, he's not pulling the ball. I mean, he's going to all fields, 34 pull, 34 straight, 30% opposite field. It's just so much weak contact. He's getting on top of the ball. And then he is, whenever he gets a, a breaking ball that he feels like he can really do damage on, uh, he it just bounces in the dirt. He's never been a good breaking ball hitter. If you look at his numbers versus breaking stuff throughout his career, and he's like a 200 hitter. Um, but this year against off speed, which he's usually done very well, you change ups and stuff like that. Same thing. He's just pounding that into the ground. Uh, it's just a struggle for him right now, but he's 27 years old. You know, he can't be done, right? Well, well, remember, am, I, am I just telling myself that? <laughs> I, I remember, twenty seven is a new thirty one. So I mean, this it's a younger league. So yeah, he's on the older side of things, man. I mean, Chris Bryant's twenty nine. He looks sometimes he looks like he's thirty three. Sometimes. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's Lindor. Let's move on to the next guy. It's oh, it's 
<laughs> Lourdes Gurriel Jr., uh, Andrew's team, only has two home runs and 12 RBI. It's already June, and it, it, these paltry numbers are just ridiculous, uh, especially how much uh, Andrew, who actually showed up on the show uh, to, pre- uh, to uh, what do you call it, uh, assess the draft, our fantasy, our, our, our baseball life fantasy draft. And he was pretty excited to get him. And these are the results. 237 batting average, 252 on base percentage as of today, 1.9% walk rate with a outside the swing percentage uh, of 42.1%. It's a career high. So this guy's pressing. So he's not, he doesn't want to walk. This is the opposite of uh, Francisco Lindor. This guy doesn't want to walk. He's just hacking at everything and hoping for the best. Uh, what's going on with Lourdes Gurriel and why has he fallen so bad on hard? Well, that's probably going to go down as my worst prediction. I was right about it last year, but I I doubled down and I'm wrong this year. Uh, I always thought Lourdes Gurriel was the uh, budget uh, value pick of Glaber Torres. And I still think that there's hope because we have seen the last three years for Lourdes Gurriel has been a good hitter and it's been backed up. Uh, the only issues that you ran into with Lourdes Gurriel were his defense actually getting him consistent plate appearances, which with that kind of stacked lineup is hard to come by. Um, and then the inability or just unwillingness to take walks. Uh, the batted ball data always looked good. It's just he swung and missed and he didn't take walks. And in today's game, pitchers are, are going to abuse that. Uh once again, another 27-year-old, he might take longer to come around just because I think that Blue Jays lineup is in such a good spot right now that they're just going to play the hot hand, and it's hard to get back into a rhythm on spot starts. And I don't think he's the guy that you want coming off the bench. Yeah, well, yeah, he definitely needs to be starting because if he comes off the bench, I, he doesn't have the plate approach to be pinch no. hitting. But I, I, I could have sworn I saw that he was still playing every single day probably because of the injuries that bla- the, the Blue Jays have sustained, maybe. I don't know. But uh, I see that he's not getting rested. He's not missing any time. He's still getting his five, six plate appearances sometimes. Um, it's just, I think his free swinging ways, and this is one of the reasons I was always kind of hesitant about him. He's too much of a free swinger for my taste. I was more worried about Teoscar Hernandez swinging <laughs> miss issues than I was Gurriel. But, hey, we were wrong here. And one of my favorite Gurriel stats in the month of May uh, he actually has a 247 average, and this is over 78 plate appearances. So you are correct. He has been playing mostly every day. He's batting 247. He has an on base of 244. No walks, and he's been thrown out trying to stretch a base hit into a double or something like that. And so his batting average is actually higher than his on base. I love when that happens. <laughs> Moving on to uh, the champion, the defending champion, uh, Aaron's team and her Struggling, disappointing hitter is Matt Chapman. I had him last year on my on my points league, and he was kind of disappointing. Uh, I know injuries took a toll on him, but I, I want I wanted to say that as you see on my note here, struggles began in 2020. He's he has a career low exit velocity of 88.2 uh, 88.2 miles per hour this year. Five home runs, 20 RBI seems that seems like a healthy number, but the batting average is down to 214 with an on base percentage of 317. Uh, is I don't know. I I, I don't. I can't quite explain Matt Chapman's problem. Would you like to take a crack at explaining Matt Chapman's problem? this? Well, we would be remiss to say that Aaron was smart. Matt Chapman was actually dropped in our league. Someone, someone gave up on him. I believe it was jet. I'm not hundred percent sure, 
Uh, and she picked him up off of, I think he had cleared waivers. He was there for three or four days and then just added. I, that, that's a, a goof on my part. I absolutely whiffed on that. Um, some slight good things. Uh, he's not chasing as much. The whiffs are still there, which is not good. But career high walk rate, the strikeout rate, which had ballooned back over 30 last year, is still over 30 this year. It's um, that hip surgery could be sapping some power. I'm trying to, I was going to pull up his. Uh, yeah, the ground ball percentage is back up after being very low last year. His line drive rate last year was a almost untenable 38, almost 40%. So I wouldn't give up on Chapman. He's one of those guys who seems that when he gets hot, he just gets scalding Mm -hmm. and you want him in your lineup when that happens. And he plays every day and he has so far five home runs and a stolen base to chip in. So um, (laughs) he's a guy I'm I'm not giving up on yet. All right. Uh, Furthermore, he has a 298 expected Woba. So again, that's another one where the the stack has numbers. Don't see any uh, any light at the end of the tunnel. But I mean, it is Matt Chapman. He's an established player. So we'll see what happens. Speaking of which, established player who's also another third baseman not doing well. Uh, and this one I'm over for James's team, also another Mets fan in our league. Nine home runs. Eugenio Suarez. Eugenio Suarez. Sorry, I didn't mean to emphasize his name. Nine <laughs> home runs. 23 RBI. Oh God, $1.49 on the batting average, $2.29 on the on-base percentage. What did I put it? Okay, so now that he's a shortstop, he's now hitting like one? What the hell, Eugenio Suarez? <laughs> uh, X, uh, the expected Wova is only at $2.93. Uh, is the StatCast, uh, what is, was StatCast saying about him true, or does he have a chance to turn things around? His StatCast stuff that we see this year, obviously – is not good because obviously his results would be at least somewhat better if it were. But the things that gave me qualms when he was hitting the uh, 52 home runs or however many he hit a 49, that's what it was. It was 49 in 2019. And then he had 15 last year, which was uh, I believe top 10 in the league. Um, But we started seeing a trend that I don't like to see. He just started selling out completely. He didn't care how much he struck out. Uh, the strikeout rate was jumped from 23% in 2018 to 28 and a half in 2019 when he had the 49 home runs up again to 29% in 2020. This year it was over 30. It's over 32 and a half. It's uh, he's just trying to lift the ball right now. And he has hit the ball relatively hard. His, Exit velocity numbers have been trending up in the last few weeks, but it's one of those. It's not tenable to get out of a slump. He has the nine home runs, but this is uh, not what Cincinnati intended, especially since they put him at shortstop. And in only, uh, I believe it was, he's played 30 games at shortstop so far this year and has already accumulated a minus 11 outs above average at shortstop. So, yeah, they need a shortstop bat. By the <laughs> Trevor, way, you, Trevor Story did Great American Ballpark, please. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, that, maybe that could also work for Trevor Story, who I almost included on this list, but I chose not to. Uh, but Eugenio Suarez, I was going to mention that maybe one of the reasons why his uh, what you mentioned, some of his stack cast numbers are up was because he did spend, uh, I, I think it was three or four games in Colorado. And nothing like going to Colorado to fix what ails you in terms of your hitting. But uh, 
But then again, he you just mentioned he does hit in Cincinnati, which is also another hitter friendly ballpark. So I don't get it. But like you, like you said, for all the other reasons you mentioned, I think it's just uh, um, uh, him trying to just be this uber powered hitter, and it's finally catching up to him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next on the list, Max Kepler. This is this guy's on my team, on Felipe's team right here. Uh, Right fielder now qualifies at center field, so that's good for me. But he's had five home runs, 22 RBI, uh, five stolen base nut, which is pretty damn good. He hasn't been caught yet, so I'll take that. But unfortunately, I can't trust him, Sean, because he's hitting 223 with a on base percentage of pie 314 on base percentage. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, and, and I started doing more of this, uh, especially when I noticed Max Kepler was uh, seeing how they're doing against the shift. And right now he's on pace to see a career high against the shift if, if, uh, if, uh, if, if things continue the way they, they are right now. And he's only hitting 247 against the shift. So I think that might have something to do with his struggles this year. What do you see on your end? Yeah, specifically against the shift, since you brought it up, uh, he's always been a relatively high shift guy. I mean, in 2017, which we were still – the shift wasn't what it is today. He was shifted against 23% of the time, then 32% in 2018. And then the last three years have just been silly. He has faced a shift 72% of the time in 19, 96% of the time in 2020, and this year 91% of the time. And every single year they've shifted more. His WOBA against the shift has just gone down, down, and down. Uh, the upside here is a lot of the stuff, it plays well above average. We're seeing above average, average exit velocity, max EV, hard hit rate, the expected WOBAs, you know, above average, you know, 58th percentile. He's not chasing. He's not really striking out a whole lot. He's taking his walks. It's a, it's a very weird um, issue he finds himself in now, once again, struggling immensely versus left-handers. He has a 531 OPS versus lefties, while his OPS versus righties is over 800. He did leave today's game with an injury, so be able, be sure to check your lineup. Uh, you might need to take him out for the beginning of this upcoming week. Okay, I will. I will. Thank you for the tidbit. Um, <laughs> uh, Carlos chiming in. He's also a Mets fan, just like you, Sean, saying that Eugenio Suarez has turned into Steve Balboni. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I, that's a name I don't think I've ever heard of before. So I had to look it up. Uh, he played for the Yankees, the Mariners, the Royals, the Rangers. Uh, he was a home run power hitting uh, third baseman, I believe, who was known to also have a tendency to strike out a lot. He was nicknamed bye-bye because of his home run hitting prowess. But at this point, if he's striking out a lot, you can also say bye-bye because he's just striking out a lot. Also so, in regards to Max Kepler, he does is posting a career hide. Uh, hard hit percentage, according to Baseball Savant's hard hit percentage, uh, is at uh, almost forty five percent. So yeah, that that that's there's good things to see here. It, it's why, once he has more hope than a lot of the guys that we've talked about today. So I don't give up on him, man. That's why I don't give up on him. But yeah, he needs to show me something. But yeah, these shifts, uh, they're kind of uh, been a, a hard spot. Uh, that's another controversy we need to address eventually here, Sean, about the the, the extreme shifts and whatnot. But that's for another time. But you, this is not, I assure you, this is not going to be the last time we talk about the shift. I can tell you that much. <laughs> speaking of, uh, speaking of the shift, Kyle Tucker on your team, Sean, he was a keeper of yours. Yeah. 10 home runs is nice. 28 RBIs. So far he's leading everybody on this list right now. Uh, as I keep on hiding them, as I go, uh, a net stolen base of three, which is really good, but he's hitting 227 with an on base percentage of 295. And I keep bringing up on base percentage because in our league, 
we do account for on base percentage. So this is killing your team right now. And he's batting 214 against the shift there, Sean. Uh, any regrets for keeping Kyle Tucker from last year? None at all. <laughs> if you look at this guy, it is just absolutely incredible the bad luck that he has hit into. Uh, he has a 304 expected batting average. That's in the top 7% of the league. A 570 expected slugging, top 8%. His WOBA in, is 319, while his expected WOBA, which is in the top 10% of the league, is 390. Uh, strikeout rate under 17%, under 20. Uh, it's the lowest of his career. Walk rate, highest of his career at nearly 9%. He is still just absolutely crushing fastballs. His um, average numbers versus fastballs almost comes out to a, an average a barrel per, you know, every fastball. He's averaging 94 miles an hour on the exit velocity, 21 degree launch angle. He's not whiffing. He is being a great hitter, and he is starting to see more results here in May. Uh, he had a, a terrible month of April with a 610 OPS so far in May and over 78 plate appearances, 290, 372 on base, 580 slugging, almost right in line with his season-wide expected numbers, five home runs and a stolen base over that so far. And I am seeing that he maybe stole a base in today's game, so we might be bumping that up to four. All right. And uh, Carlos agrees with uh, your assessment of Tucker as well. He just uh, chimed in right now. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Tucker has hit 214 against the shift this year. He also has a bat, uh, batting average on balls in play of 214. And I, I you know what, Sean? I, I kind of feel bad. For those who don't know what the WOBA is, weighted on base average, uh, a really dumb way of putting it is that weighted on base average basically says that, you know, a double is worth more than a single, a triple is worth more than a double, and a home run is worth more than all of those uh, combined. Uh, it doesn't account for league park factors or, uh, or 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 era right it's just yeah. it's just but it does take value. into account uh strikeouts and walks which mm -hmm. can be which is what makes woba a pretty well-rounded predictive stat uh just because it does include that approach as well as the results now expected woba is uh is, is they take woba but they add they and again a really dumb way. I'm just trying to explain it as best I can. Sean, chime in after I I, I try to do it my best here. But basically, ex woba uh, expected woba is basically taking that that uh, that weighted on base average and adding Statcast uh, figures to figure out what would happen if uh, based on what the Statcast number suggests, what the actual. Uh, uh, weighted on base average would be if it wasn't uh, for things like good defense or uh, bad, you know, ballparks uh, that are more prevalent for pitch and friendly, uh, for, for more pitchy friendliness. Sean, help me out here as I'm choking to death here. No, it, it's funny <laughs> that you, you bring up the shift and I, I wanted to talk about it because he is facing a career high shift percentage 84% uh, of the time. Uh, but last year in 2020, he was shifted against 40% of, or uh, not 40, 74% uh, of the time. And he did not good. It was a 309. Uh, but this year, when he wasn't shifted against last year, he had a 462 Woba. That's incredible. That is like otherworldly. But this year, even though he's facing the shift or no shift less, his Woba when not shifted against is 229. Mm -hmm. So that might be one of those things that we have to dig in a little bit deeper into 
but I am not worried about Kyle Tucker in the slightest. The fact that he is still putting up all these great peripherals, he's 24 years old. He is just now scratching the surface of that top prospect. We all knew he was going to be. This is just awesome to see the maturation process. Yeah, and like I think you just mentioned right now in the in the chat that uh, your team is pretty stacked. So I, I did have to uh, kind of sort of call so called reach for somebody on your team. And uh, just to really kick, do you have a simpler way of explaining what expected woba is uh, to the people out there? It. <sighs> These it, guys don't know what they're talking about. God damn it. No, no, it's <laughs> you, you, I'm trying to say stuff that you didn't say uh, in regards to expected Woba. Like you said, Woba weights everything, I believe, not perfectly, but better than OPS weights production. Uh, even almost as good as uh, WRC plus. I'm still a little partial to WRC plus. But Woba is getting more into the uh, mainstream. Expected Woba, like you said, uh, factors in that uh, batted ball data from Baseball Savant, you know, average exit velocity, launch angle, uh, things of that nature. Uh, I Like I said, I'm still a little partial to WRC Plus because it has the league average uh, neutralized ballpark factors. Um, but it, it's a great statistic that definitely is – it's made to look like batting average. So if you see one that's like 380, that's awesome. That, that's yeah. an insane batting average. So yeah. when you look at Woba, if it looks like it'd be a very good batting average, then, yeah, that's a good offensive player. So, yeah, uh, you, can, you guys can uh, – Carlos just mentioned he's never heard of that. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people just like Carlos who's never heard of some of these stats. We're, we devolve our entire podcast around some of these new fancy stats, and we're always learning something new about them, how they're calculated, how they're measured, how they uh, – are, are inputted into the system. So it comes in and we can, you know, talk about it. Uh, and we find that they're a little bit better at evaluating some of these players than just, Oh, this guy's hitting two, two 11. I mean, we are using batting average, but for fantasy purposes and for simple sim- simplicity purposes as well, because that's a, a universal statistic, but we feel like these other stats do a better job of evaluating some of these players than just simply looking at batting average alone. So that's why we do the things that we do around here. So we're not here to intimidate you or to tell you how smarter we are because we're better baseball fans than you are, but no, this is just, this is just our way of doing things to uh, help and make sense of a very complicated sport. So, Anyway, that's my little spiel there about that. Let's keep going. We got Kesson Hira. I couldn't help it, man. Uh, this guy on Mario's team, I could not help it because I, I had him as a top three second baseman and I was this close twice to drafting him. And, and, and at the last minute, I chickened out because of the things I saw last year. And, and the things I saw last year, Sean, outweighed my, poten- my expectations about his potential. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened with only one home run, five RBI. <laughs> 152 batting average, 247 on base, 32 strikeouts in only 26 games. That's a 36% uh, strikeout rate for Kesson Hura, the former first-round pick and the former highly titled prospect for the Milwaukee Brewers. It doesn't appear like he's going to be coming anytime soon um, as the Brewers have are pretty locked in at second base. And I don't know who's playing first base for them right now. Do you have any idea? Who's uh, I base? believe it's been some sort of combo of like Travis Shaw, Daniel Vogelbach. Um <laughs> I think that's it. I'm not sure if Charles has been playing some third base. I know Vogie's been playing first. Obviously, El Garcia had a double dong today, I believe. So, uh, you know, just, keep it, keeping things fresh in Milwaukee. That just tells you that there's no way Ke- Kesson Hero is not coming up anytime. And you know what it is, Sean? What I, what I should have done is, how's he doing in the minors so far? Any idea? Oh, I do. Would you, would you like me to share? 
Yes. Everyone's so excited. They said, oh, Keston here, he went to the minors. He's played eight games. He has two home runs, six RBIs, two stolen bases. He's fixed. He's, he's batting back. He's batting 430. He has an on-base over 500. His WRC plus is to the freaking moon. Um, except there's one problem. Uh, the strikeout rate in AAA is 34.5%. The swinging strike rate at AAA is is down to 15%, which is what it was in 2019, uh, his last time at AAA. So has anything, it's actually slightly higher, has anything really changed? You look at his last three years in the major leagues, contact percentage, all three have been far below average. 65.8% in 2019, it went down to 59.3 last year, and these are on swings. And then this year, it bottomed, it got even lower. I don't know how you do this, but... (laughs) 55.3 per contact percentage. He is just the swinging strike rate was 23%. That's gone up every year in the major leagues. It's not going to cut it. It, It's it's not. He, he can't make consistent contact. And if you can't make consistent contact or take your walks, like a grown up, then you have no reason being in the big leagues and watching him hit was like watching the Clemson hitters. I got to see yesterday in the softball game against this pitcher for Alabama, Montana Fouts. She kept throwing repeatedly 70 mile an hour fastballs up in the zone. And I get they throw it underhand and it gets a rise action, literal rise action to it. But it didn't matter. It was the same pitch over and over again. Swung through it, swung through it. That's what it's like watching Keston here. These pitchers, they realized what his hole was uh, Mm -hmm. because he came up like a ball of fire in 2019. Mm -hmm. They found out what his hole was. They abused it in 2020, and they did it again this year. And he did not adjust. And until he makes some sort of tangible adjustment that allows him to catch up to a major league velocity fastball up in the zone, then he can't play in the majors. He can't. And there's just nothing about it. Uh, of the 12 people on this list, Kessin Hiura leads, uh, is actually has the lowest WRC plus of any of them at 47, which, uh, this one, this one I struggle with as well. So 47, what is that? Uh, 53% below league average. Ugh, yeah. And take into account, he can't play defense either. That that's the whole other, that's why he's in triple A now. Cause if he was even a major league average defender, he would probably be platooning at first base. But he couldn't even play second base, and you're not going to throw him at first base. As Ron Washington would say, oh, anyone – or the – what was it in Moneyball? Uh, Anyone can play first base. Right, Ronnie? And he looks at Ron Washington, and he goes, it's very difficult. (laughs) Uh, Before we move on, Carlos brings up an interesting point. It seems like this is like uh, a counter argument to all the people who do not like what we talk about here, Sean. And there's all these advanced stats, all these stat cast numbers. And Carlos is asking, is all this information that the hitters have at their disposal causing these problems for guys on the list? Is it too much? And for me, well, it really, it just depends with, with who the hitter is. But for me, you can never have too much information, you know, but uh, you seem. It's what you do with the information. It's what you do with the information. And, and you, 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 you ignore some of it. You listen to some of it. That's what and I do. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> that's what you got to do. Sometimes you have to ignore information. Sometimes you do, but you need it there for you. That way you can decide whether you want to ignore it or not. So, yeah, and I was going to say, you you're, you were invested in it. You were in the middle of all of that with the Montgomery Biscuits. I mean, uh, trying to keep track of all the uh, all the tracking and, and the, and the uh, StatCast uh, or whatever version of StatCast yeah. they were using that you were running. Um, did you see players uh, get what you were uh, tracking and 
try to use it for their own game. Uh, what what did you see in terms of player interaction with the statistics there that you were keeping track of? I mean, f- with an organization such as Tampa, who is so heavily involved, it influences so many of their decisions. You do see some players try and adjust their game to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially you would see guys in the Tampa system who didn't really have power, but they really worked on drawing walks and getting on base. Uh, they had a couple of guys, I believe Tristan Gray was one of them. Ended up being a double-A All-Star. He's playing for triple-A Durham right now. And he's just like this totally not typical first baseman. Uh, He could play all around the infield. Didn't have much power, but he really started taking his walks. And once he started taking those walks, Tampa started rewarding him. I mean, he moved up. He played in the lineup more. He would play second base. He would play third base. He, I think he played shortstop one game. They were really shorthanded. But it was like one of those they reward certain things that they want you to do. And to a degree, that's what made Keston here an interesting prospect who he wasn't on any top 100s, I believe going into uh, 2019, he might've been like right on the fringe, but he was a high average hitter, a high Babbitt who didn't hit for much power, especially in terms of home runs. And then in 2019, he completely changed what he did at the plate. He geared himself to hit the ball as hard as he could and he had great success. I mean, he was hitting for a high average in AAA. He called up, hit for a high average again. But he changed the player he was to become the player I think that the organization wanted him to be. They wanted him to be this 25 home run plus power guy. But in doing that, he completely jeopardized his approach. And, and when you do that, then you're you're lost. And, and would you... Uh blame that on all the information i mean it's, it's really a chicken in the egg kind of thing here i mean yeah. what 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 what's the main culp what's the main, uh, main uh, blame for this is it uh the team who the front office who highly depends on this information all this advanced analytics stuff or is it the player who tries to manipulate his end results just so that he can look better in the eyes of the front office I, it, it really is but to me it just sounds like a big cycle a toxic cycle, if you will. So it's just really hard to pinpoint exactly where that blame begins and where it ends. And I mean, in your experience, uh, where what would you make of that? I mean, with, I mean, just we'll continue using Kira as the example here. Uh, the last few years, the objective of almost every hitter in baseball is to hit the ball harder, yeah. uh, hit it in such a way and such a spot in the zone that you know your swing and you know that hey, if this pitch is outside, I know I can really grease it, or if it's really inside, or if it's low, if it's high, picking your spot and then trying to do damage with it. I mean, that's kind of always been the game, but even more so the last few years where exit velocity and launch angle, you know, these bugaboo words that everyone wants to talk about have really come to the forefront. And Keston here, I think, really bought into that, I want to hit the ball hard. And to his defense, he has succeeded in doing that. He hits he does, the ball yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. But in, he went from, I had his page pulled up here, in the minor leagues from 2017 to 2018, strikeout rate 18%, 20%, 20%, 18%. That's solid. That's good. And then he yeah. m- made that change after AA, going into his first year in AAA. Strikeout rate goes up to 26%. That's a 8% in a year is pretty drastic. But it was masked by... He hit 19 home runs in 57 games. And so when you see results like that, you don't want to change. You said, wow, this change was awesome. I'm glad I did this. Especially you go up to the major leagues. You hit over 300 
Uh, I mean, he did have a BABIP over 400, but he always had high BABIPs, uh, BABIPs even when he didn't hit the ball hard because he was a line drive hitter. And it's one of those, he wanted to hit the ball hard and stay a line drive hitter, and he did both of those. And in doing so, he made himself vulnerable to major league pitching. It's a Very really interesting case. It's Very a really interesting, interesting yeah. case. Yeah, and when it works, it works, and when it doesn't, these other results, you get the next Kesson Hero. Is, is, you look yeah. at his line drive percentages, and they're good. And you're like, yeah. this guy hits the ball hard. He hits line drives. He hits it all fields. What's wrong with him? And it's he he swings too much. He swings too hard. I mean, yeah. it's like a, a, it's so weird. You know what it is, Sean? I, I always had this theory back when I was writing for XN Sports. One of the theories I had was maybe yeah, you can hit the ball hard, but you become predictable in terms of where defenses line up to, I mean, with the spray charts and, and the, the defensive alignments and shifting defenses are more and more uh, intelligent as to how they can line up to combat these hard hitting guys. We're going to see that with someone in particular as we go on here. But my theory was maybe perhaps if a hitter is too predictable where he's going to hit the ball, he becomes an easy out because of it, because everybody knows where the ball is going to land. I don't know. I, I can't prove it. That's just a, a gut feeling I had just by looking at all these numbers as I have been in the, for the last 10 years or so. So we'll talk about it when we get to that player. In the meantime, let's go on, move on to Ozzy Alves uh, for Mike Harvey, who's in first place out of Eastern Washington, trying to do this uh, from last to first kind of deal situation. But Albie's actually having a decent season in terms of the counting stats, nine home runs, 24 RBI, two stolen base net, but only hitting 235 with a 309 batting uh, on base percentage. Uh, and he's going through a career low BABIP, batted on, batting average on balls in play of 226. That, that's your guy, right? That's your favorite player of all time, Ozzy Albies? No, this is what, what I've warned about for years. <laughs> <laughs> do, do we want to dive into why his BABIP is so minuscule? I, I, I think it's very interesting. Might as Great. Well, even might, even might though as his well. BABIP this year is 281. I, I find that amusing. He has a 281 bat or a 281 expected batting average, a BABIP of 226, and wait for it, a fly ball percentage over 40%. Usually when we see fly ball percentage go up, we see BABIP go down. And usually when BABIP goes down, XBA goes down a little bit too. The line drive percentage has dropped a little bit. But going back to the simplistic outlook on why I avoid Ozzy Albies for better or for worse, uh, he doesn't walk a whole lot. I mean, 8.6, this is around the his career high. But with him is his inability to hit right-handed pitching which is what you are going to face the majority of the time. And of course, in a Roto League, or it all evens out in the end. But this year against right-handed pitching, 208 hitter, 294 on base, 416 slugging. It's a 700-ish OPS. But versus lefties, he has an OPS over 1,000. He's always crushed lefties. But if you are only good against a quarter of the – at bats you have, I don't, I'm not sure I want you. <laughs> like it, it's just, you, you, I feel like you hurt me more than you help me. And I can go pick somebody that's a little bit more consistent. That wasn't as highly drafted as Ozzy Albies. The splits issue plus his price in drafts is just so astronomically high that it, it never made sense to me at all. 
And of the 12 players here, he does lead everybody on this list with a high WOBA of 337 and a WRC plus with 111 tied with someone else who has not been mentioned yet. Uh, Statcast numbers look healthy. Expected WOBA is at 372. So this is one of those things where where um, a traditional fan will look at these Statcast numbers and these advanced stats. Like this is why these th- these new fangy fancy schmancy statistics are so overrated because they're turning a guy who hits 235 and trying to pump him up as something else when he really does suck. But I mean, nine home runs is pretty good, right, Sean? 24 RBI. I mean, Kyle Tucker has 28. He's only four off of Kyle Tucker at this point. So. So maybe we we can expect to see better from Ozzy Alves too. Seeing his numbers versus the shift as well as a switch hitter um, is pretty interesting to look at, especially uh, when we compare it to someone like Francisco Lindor, who they both hit left-handed pitching better. Mm-hmm. But Lind- or, uh, yeah, Alves is more of a dead pole hitter mm-hmm. versus lefties. Um Versus righties, he sprays the ball a little bit better. Meanwhile, Lindor is a dead pull hitter versus righties, batting lefty. And then as a lefty where he is better overall, he sprays the ball around. So it's a little bit of an opposite effect. And versus left-handed pitching, the shift rate versus Aussie Albies has jumped dramatically. 89.3%. He had never he was shifted on 78% of the time last year versus lefties 47 percent the year before that so continually going up uh woba versus the shift this year of 329 that is a career low versus left-handers um in the shift so once again another guy who's probably falling victim to the shift even though he's posting this insanely high fly ball percentage and with the balls not flying as far as they used to maybe that's a uh dangerous thing to play with Especially because Albies does have power. He, uh, I'm not going to take yeah. that away from. Him. But yeah, surprisingly, by the way, yeah. So yeah, he, for such a diminutive, diminutive guy, when he came up in the ninth inning versus the Mets at the game I was at, um, he was batting left-handed, and I was like, "Dear God, just don't let him." He he ripped a line drive foul, and I'm like, "Gee, oh, I, I was starting to get nervous over there, especially with all the smack I've talked about Ozzy Albies before." He's basically uh, what I wish Nick Magical was, uh, <laughs> but you know, inclu- but also to include Nick Magical's contact skills and his ability to not strike out as much. I wish that's what I want Nick Magical to turn into. If he's gonna be, if he's gonna be a slappy hitter, can you at least give me some of that? Uh, uh, those sexy stack has numbers that Ozzy Albies can provide. It's all I need. It's all I want, man. Just give me some hope. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's interesting. You put, you, you mentioned that uh, Albies is a dead pull hitter and uh, struggling, struggling against a shift as a left-handed hitter just makes me think about my, my stupid theory about, Hey, maybe if you are this predictable, even though you hit the ball hard, really hard, uh, defenses can adjust and those hard hit balls land in a glove or something. Yeah. So we'll see. Here it is. Here's my guy, Jorge Soler. I'm sorry, you're going to say something? No, no, no. Go ahead. Jorge Soler. So this is what I'm talking about. Uh, There's another guy. Uh, I will start with, the, with my notes here first. Uh, Jorge Soler having trouble against the shift. He's on pace for a career high uh, plate appearances versus a shift this year. As you know, it, it, we usually, when we think about the shift, we think about left handed hitters, but Jorge Soler's right handed. And he's he's had pretty decent seasons in 2019 and 2020. And this year, with four home runs, 24 RBI, decent, but a $1.85 batting average, along with an on base percentage of 267. This might be another one where the, I mean, Jorge Soler, let me see where it is. I just had his numbers pulled up. There it is. 50. 50- Point 
5% hard hit rate, 12.6 barrel rate, 93.6 exit velocity. And this just goes back to what I was talking about. Like maybe, yes, you can hit the ball hard, but if you're hitting the ball right at them, it kind of balances out and it defeats the purpose. Now, don't it, Sean? Yeah, he's got the lowest opposite field percentage of his career Mm -hmm. in I think this is something that the shift has killed more. Everyone always wants to say the shift is taking away that ball between the first and second baseman or the third baseman and the shortstop, but he's posting the highest, you know, up the middle batted ball area since 2016 when he was a cub uh, at 34%. And I feel like this is what happens to a lot of these guys that get mega shifts on them Mm -hmm. is they hit the ball hard still and they hit it up the middle. So it's not really hitting it into the shift, but based on how shifts are made now, they put the two guys to the pull side, and then the furthest one away is the one that stays up the middle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what used to be a base hit for even longer than when they we started putting the second baseman in shallow right field. Because I still remember when the shortstop and the third baseman would still be to the left of uh, second, and the second baseman would be played deeper and into right field. These shifts now are so extreme that that shortstop or the third baseman, whoever's playing on that side, they play on the grass behind second base and they can really get to everything and they just mop up everything. Uh, Meanwhile, Jorge Soler, uh, 15 opposite or opposite field percentage of only 15 percent. So he's really not going to beat the shift anytime soon. He is being shifted on less this year than he was last year. Um in 2019, he was shifted against 43% of the time, which is pretty close to the 51% of the time. Um, but in 2019, he had a WOBA of 414 against the shift. Now in 2021, he's seen that go down two straight years, 325 last year and 263 this year. Yeah, and like I said, he's expected to get to see more plate appearances against the shift than ever before in his career. He's on pace to hit that to break a new record for himself. Uh, we're gonna have to talk. We're gonna have to uh, discuss this uh, more about the shift because I'm a. F- I like the shift. I, I like the quirkiness. I like the strategy involved. Like everybody talking about strategy. Yeah, we need more strategy in baseball. Well, the shift is strategy, right? I mean, if you have that data in front of you, why not use it? But maybe we can talk more in uh, in depth about the shift. When we talk about pitchers, yeah, we're going to talk about the pitchers that have disappointed us so far tomorrow on tomorrow night's show after Dong City. So maybe we'll bring that up tomorrow. DJ LeMahieu on Jets team, uh, the Brewers fan, three home runs, 14 RBI. Uh, I know, I think he's been hitting at the top of the order, trying to set the table for the big boppers and Aaron Judge and uh, Giancarlo Stanton and all those guys. Uh, I don't know. If, you, if you're only getting three home runs and 14 RBI from LeMahieu, as opposed to Ozzy Albies, who hits nine home runs with 24 RBI. But <laughs> I'm just saying, LeMahieu does have a better batting average and on base percentage, 257 and 342 on base percentage, respectively, that compared to uh, Albies. But here's what it is. Um, well, first and foremost, the reason I have to settle for DJ LeMahieu was because Jets draft was so bad that he's basically just picked up everybody on the waiver wire to improve his team. And if you notice that he's been slowly but surely climbing up uh, the ladder, and I'm pretty, I'm kind of wondering if he does this what he did last year, like this, like he just kind of, he, he did, we, he did do better later on in the season. I do remember that the last like four weeks, I think he went undefeated. Yeah. And he also had a bad draft. So I'm wondering if like, he just shows up drafts whomever and just relies on waiver wire to save his bad drafts, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's playing with fire, but it's been working for him. Uh, so he's making up with it 
he's making up for bad drafts. Bad. I mean, we're talking awful, just real <laughs> awful drafts. But he's making them up with really good waiver wire selection. So DJ LeMahieu, um, is this a stretch for me to be including him on this list? Uh, not necessarily. No. Uh, we have seen the average exit velocity come down. We have seen the ground ball percentage go up a little bit. The warning sign was there slightly last year at a 57% ground ball rate. Um, I didn't have time to. I should have done it. If you go and you look at his stack cast shift percentage, it's all like one shift, zero, because he does go the opposite way so much. But I want to say I have seen teams put the opposite shift on him especially in the outfield. They've been doing it in the outfield for years. Interesting. Um, this year, the line drive rate is down. It was 29, almost 30%, both in 2019 and 2020. It's down to 2021 or to 2021. It's down to 23% in 2021. Uh, he is 32. I trust the approach. I'm sure he's going to have a hot streak here. Uh, he's walking more. The strikeouts have gone up a little bit, though. He's still not chasing. It's a good approach. And he's already given us two stolen bases. So if you get like seven or eight stolen bases out of him, that might be nice. All right. Let's quickly move on to the next person on the list. Alec Baum. I know he's just a rookie for Matthew Whelan. Um, but uh, surprisingly, uh, I think he too has just been very busy on the waiver wire. So it was pretty hard to just pick a player from Whelan's team. Although his team still sucks. But Alec Baum kind of uh, has disappointed in his rookie. Uh, in his, full for, in his first full season uh, as a third baseman in Major League Baseball, four home run, 24 RBI, three stolen base net, which I did not expect. 222 adding, uh, batting average, 255 on base. Is he hitting that rookie wall a lot sooner than expected, Sean? I don't believe so, and I meant to bring this up with Solaire as these two guys appear on a list of the top 15 unluckiest player um based on their differential between their WOBA and expected WOBA. Jorge Soler is the fifth with an 81-point gap. He had a 156 uh, or 257 WOBA, 335 expected. Alec Bohm, on the other hand, a 253 WOBA and a 318 expected. When you break it down more, exit velocity still high. Expected batting average is 270. Um, and he had a very bad month of April. He's picked it up slightly in May, so he's kind of building on it. It hasn't been a great month of May, but it's been better than April was. He's really crushing left-handers, struggling versus righties. Uh, you'd have to go and look and see. He is facing roughly the same mix of pitches. They're not throwing him more fastballs than they were last year. He is just not having as many good results on it as he was last year, only batting 185 against fastballs. Uh, his batting average, expected batting average, is supposed to be 265, though. So you would expect once the batting average comes up against the fastballs, maybe we see the numbers come up as well. The line drive percentage still looks awesome. I still think he has this weird Anthony Rendon type ability that we're going to see, and I would not give up on him at all. And that's some high praise because Anthony Rendon was one of my favorite prospects back when I was. Uh starting my uh, sports writing career, so to speak. Last guy on the list, Javier Baez. And I mentioned earlier that Ozzy Albies leads everybody in WOBA and ties uh, in first on this list in WRC Plus with Javier Baez at 111. So here's the numbers, 10 home runs, 30 RBI. This is for Jacob's team over there, uh, over at this, uh, the Step Back podcast, uh, the Basketball Life podcast. Six stolen base nets. So on, on face value, in terms of roto numbers, 10 home runs, 30 RBI, six stolen base net. That's pretty damn good. 
Yeah. Right. Why you, you you're you're going to you're going to take it. Especially with a two, a 255 average which isn't great, but in a roto league with the numbers he's given you that's awesome. Unfortunately, in a league like ours where we do account for batting average and on base percentage, 294 on base percentage by the way, that's not good and this guy was supposed to be a top six top eight maybe even top 10 shortstop he's now ranked 15th overall and that's with because of all the injuries that the position has taken i saw a lot of injured guys uh behind him that should be higher than him in my points league so uh, uh bias is 15th ranked in my in, in my points league and he should be a lot worse 57 strikeouts uh leads all the shortstops in the top 15 and also leads jacob's team as well so uh, it's same old Javier Baez will swing at everything, hack at everything. Uh, he's making it kind of work for himself, but this is just getting ridiculous. Um, any signs of hope that he could be much better than this? Uh, we've seen that we know Javier Baez has raw power. Uh, we're seeing a career high barrel percentage at almost 14%. He's mm-hmm. completely changed. Not completely changed, but drastically upped his fly ball percentage. Uh, had never been higher than 22%, which it was in 2018 and 2019. It's nearly 29% this year. Uh, dropped the fl- uh, ground ball percentage a little bit, but the line drive percentage has cratered. That's where a lot of what the trade off has been. Uh, my main issue when I look at his numbers this year is he's always been like a 40% whiff guy against breaking balls. He's hit them relatively well over his career. He just swings and misses so much. Uh, This year, though, against fastballs, 40.4 whiff percentage so far, 211 211 batting average, and a 210 expected batting average. So he deserves every bit he's getting here. And he's getting put away more on fastballs this year than he is on breaking pitches, which has never happened in his career. And I really am concerned if you start whiffing on fastballs, he already has shown himself very vulnerable to the down and away breaking ball that he swings at a million times. But if he starts getting put away on fastballs, uh, that's, that's a big red flag to me. That, that tells me the bat is like at 28 years old. I don't know how, but the bat's slowing down, which is just weird to think. I'm sorry, you said he was 28 years old? Yeah. Well, as you know, 28 is a new 33 years old now. <laughs> you, you should know already. You, you got to stop bringing... Listen, if, uh, unless a guy's like below 25 years old, 28 is just old in, in today's game. I'm telling you, man. That's just and the way it is. And this is a guy who has always routinely crushed mm-hmm. bat, uh, fastballs. Yes, in 20, has, yeah. 2015, batting average over 420. In 2016, batting average 310. 309 and 17, 311 in 2018. This is kind of weird how three straight years they're all within like two points of each other. Um, 2019 went down to 270. Whiff rate jumped about 5% to 30%. Last year, of course, was a struggle. He still batted a respectable 250 against them. Whiff rate went up again, 5% to 34. And then this year up 6% and the batting average against fastballs drops even lower. That is a dangerous trend that I do not like to see in a power hitter. And furthermore, uh, we mentioned Albies uh, having the highest Woba among these 12 guys that we just mentioned today. 337 for him. Expect a Woba of 372 for Baez, who's second behind Albies on this list. 334 Woba, 
expected of 305. So it's <laughs> it's uh, it looks like he's getting exposed for the absolutely crappy plate approach that has just been driving a lot of Cub fans crazy over the years. And for some reason, it works very well for Tim Anderson just on the other side of town. And I guess it technically works for Javier Baez, who's very explosive on his own right. But man, when things are not falling the way they should fall for him, it gets ugly in a freaking hurry. So we'll see what happens with Javier. Uh, kind as- of looking at Baez's uh, hot zones real fast. Mm-hmm. It's looking a lot. And when we pair it with the fastball trends that we just talked about, they're pitching him up, up in the zone more. And he is getting a lot of whiffs up there more than he's ever had before. Mm. So it just seems like this is going to be down and away breaking ball, high fastball, rinse, repeat. And to a degree, it's working. I mean, if Javier Baez hits a home run off of you, but you execute on those pitches, then you tip your hat and you move on. But the 790 OPS, sub 300 on base, he's not the guy that I'm worried about in that lineup. It's he's not, That's he is, fair. he yeah. is pitchable. He is pitchable. Okay. Very. <laughs> uh, which uh, brings us to our last topic of the day, lightning round, Adam or, or leave him on the waiver wire. Uh, as I'm going to just ask you a bunch of questions uh, uh, about a guys who are, let's make it 40% or less because some of the guys who are at 50% or higher or, uh, or lower, we talked about them already at one point or another. So let's go with 40%. And this is all according to CBS sports fantasy baseball league. So the first guy on the list, Josh Fuentes, 35% this week. Do I guy like me, do I go out and get him, or do I leave him on the waiver wire? I would leave him on the waiver wire. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, let's see who else is on the list. Uh, Adam Duvall at 35%. Uh, is he worth picking up this week? No, I think Garrett Cooper is getting hot. He's going to get a lot of time in right field. I think Garrett Cooper is starting to take playing time away from Duvall, which is something we were afraid that Duvall was going to do to Cooper. So, yeah. no. Uh, who's that? Jonathan VR? 33% uh, on. For this week, I would say yes. And, you know, I don't like Jonathan VR. But <laughs> J.D. Davis was expected to be back at the beginning of this week on Monday. Uh, he did not play for Syracuse today. They said that you will not probably see him until the end of the week if everything goes well, which it's the Mets, so who are we kidding? Uh, yes, I'd go add Jonathan Villar. He's been batting leadoff in front of Francisco Lindor, who he has struggled, but he's batting leadoff, career-high walk rate so far this year, I believe, for VR. Go add him. All right. At 13% owned, G-Man Choi. Guess who's back? Back again. G-Man Choi is back from, I uh, guess, injury. I forgot. Yeah, I he had the arthroscopic knee surgery oh. uh, in spring training. Thank you. Uh, missed the first few weeks. They took their time getting him back. Uh, no. Uh, oh, just too, wow. too much of a platoon thing with them going on. And I wish I could see their schedule just because I know they have faced a lot of lefties lately. And Yandy Diaz is like the automatic start for them. So he, he, he's just a risky start because it's Tampa and you know, don't know how much he's actually going to play in a week. All right. So he, he's at Toronto still. Uh, they have, I guess, their, their series is extending till Monday uh, for one game. 
And then he faces the Royals and the Phillies this upcoming week. The Royals uh, and, have several lefties in their rotation. I know that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Th- yeah. It doesn't tell me who, what pitchers he's facing, but here's something else in terms of the game log, since he's been back, he's been playing every day. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. Uh, four at bats and every single one of his games since he came back on May 16th, which is lack wagon day, but no, he's, he's been back. So, uh, that's why I had to ask uh, at 13%, uh, is he worth it or not? Or is he still too much of a risk for you? Uh, so far for the next four days against to- the game against Toronto in Kansas city, they're only facing one lefty and that is, um, Mike minor on Wednesday. So yeah, go at him. All right. Yeah. I knew I could change your mind. So yeah, <laughs> Choi, he's back and he's better than ever. Um, who's next on my list here. Who's this guy right here? Danny. Oh God. Danny Santana uh, is back for some reason. <laughs> he's alive. Uh, that's not, that's a weird way of spelling Jaron Duran. <laughs> well, Jaron Duran's going to be down in the minors for a bit longer as the Red Sox are in no rush to get him. but Danny Santana owning 10%. Uh, last week he was only owning 2% of leagues. I'm not sure why his uh, stock is going up a little bit. Because he got called up. <laughs> is that is it that simple? Yeah, okay. he yeah he was called up by Boston earlier in the week. Uh, played, I think, first base. Like I said, first base has been a real troubled position for Boston, as well as in the outfield. Danny Santana can play both. Uh, he had a home run in his first game. He have, he had that weird 2020 season back in I believe 19, and then didn't play at all in 2020. Uh, it's a risky game to put uh, faith into Danny Santana, who's like 38 million years old. All right. Okay. So I, out of curiosity, I went into roster resources to check on G-Man Choi's uh, in the Tampa Bay Rays, right? So Yanni Diaz is listed on the bench, but he's played every single game since Tuesday. Uh, it's been like Choi at first base and Diaz at third, I believe, or Choi uh, DHing Yandi at first. Yeah. Exactly. And G-Man Choi did get benched for two left-handers. I don't know why it says that. When I saw his game log, it showed that there were no gaps. So I figured maybe he, maybe he got in late. I don't know. But it showed that he was benched for two lefties, uh, once on Wednesday and once on Friday. But he's been he's listed as the primary first baseman with no platoon situation going down there. So take that for what it's worth. Because you never know with the with the Tampa Bay Rays. No platoon in Tampa Bay Rays in the same sentence does not compute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hey, I understand. I am I I worry just the way you worry, but uh, maybe G Man Choi might be the exception. I don't know. Vidal Bruhan. Speaking of Tampa, uh, of Tampa, uh, people were hoping and speculating that he would be the one called up after uh, Willie Adams got traded, and like looks like a lot of those people are gonna be just holding the Vidal behind bags but he's a young guy top prospect might be worth keeping around 34 percent own in cbs leagues what do you think about yeah him? i would stash him now um i knew once i saw that adamas was traded i said and they acquired two people back i said they have to clear a spot on the 40 man to add franco i don't see them doing that this early in the year and Bruhan, in their eyes i don't believe is no longer a shortstop they keep giving him cursory looks there but he's mainly been at second and center field. Uh, I think that's where they primarily envision him. I, I was not expecting Bruhan after that trade. Maybe Franco a little bit. I was holding on hope. But Taylor Walls is a good player, and if you play in a deep league, I would definitely go out there and get him if he's still available because uh, he is going to play every day for Tampa at shortstop. Maybe split some time with Joey Wendell, but he is by far the best defensive player probably on that team, not named Kevin Kiermeyer or Manuel Margot. Nice. Uh, who's next? Jacob Stallings. Jacob Stallings, the catcher from the Pittsburgh Pirate. 
30% owned in leagues. He's been a hot commodity. Uh, for those who don't know, he's mostly an on-base guy with a 367 on-base percentage. Do you believe in Jacob Stallings? Can we go back to what we said like at the very beginning before our main event and you said, I don't count catchers <laughs> or something <laughs> to that effect? Because uh, that's how I feel about Jacob Stallings. It's like, uh, if you need a catcher that just gets plate appearances, then fine, but he's been a little unhealthy lately so you got to cross yeah. your fingers well it looks like he's back uh he's played him back-to-back games already but he's also been benched already so we'll see actually yeah he was benching back-to-back games as well but <laughs> so yeah but again if you're desperate there's your guy i mean we're talking really desperate here yeah <laughs> he would have to be pretty damn desperate like i would have williams Ostadio playing catcher for me and we cannot stop talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Taylor Walls also getting a little bump in ownership rate. 9% though. So no one believes in Taylor Walls. Do you believe in Taylor Walls? We just I just talked about Taylor Walls. Go at him if you're in a deep league. Okay. No, that, that, that's, that's that. Uh, <laughs> out of curiosity, Taylor Walls, yep, uh, listed as the primary shortstop for the Tampa yeah. Bay Rays. No platoon on his. He's a switch hitter. So maybe that's why there's no platoon on. Pick, picked up two doubles in his first game. He's a line drive hitter. Uh, he seems more like a defensive or infield defensive focused Ben Zobrist. He takes his walks. He doesn't strike out a whole lot. He plays a lot of positions, second, third, short. I think they even put him in left field one or two games in Montgomery. Uh, he's a, a fun player. He he flies so far under the radar because he's in the same system as Franco, Brujan, Greg Jones, uh, then Lucius Fox before he got traded. Um, but Taylor Walls, close to those one-to-one walkout to strike or walkouts, walk to strikeouts, um, good approach, line drives, solid player. Uh, next on the list, if I can find uh, Jesus Sanchez uh, for the Miami Marlin. Uh, he's been getting a little bit uh, of a pick-me-up lately. What do you make of him? I uh, saw him as well in Montgomery before he was traded by Tampa to Miami. He has all the talent in the world. He's got a 10-cent head. Uh, he's got a beautiful swing. I love a swing. He's got off to a hot start in AAA. The issue that he runs into in Miami right now is Miami center fielder for the last few games has been Magnary Sierra, little speedster with absolutely no power with Starling Marte on the IL and John Birdie not playing well. The issue is they have too many corner outfielders. Corey Dickerson, Garrett Cooper, and Adam Duvall, who we just talked about. There's Those guys are still healthy and fighting for at-bats. Jesus Sanchez cannot play center field. That is, he can barely play right field when he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, the bat is probably ready. It wasn't ready last year, but if they were to ever call him up, it would have to be now, but I don't know where he plays because right field's clogged. Left field is Corey Dickerson's. Center field is waiting on Starling Marte. Fair enough. Uh, what about Odubel Herrera, who seems to be back for the Phillies now? Uh, and I'd, I'd hope I had a better bench that I wouldn't have to add him, <laughs> especially yeah. with how easily accessible outfielders are. You again, can usually find an outfielder. Yeah, he's been playing every day. Uh, but again, going with the 40% or less, so we're seeing a lot of obscure names here today. What about, uh, we just, uh, oh, okay, never mind. Nick Matone for the Phillies as well, another Phillies player. Uh, he's going to get, yeah, he's going to get a bump with DD Gregorius going on the IL. Um, not really a fantasy relevant bat. 
All right. Yeah, I had him in my baseball life league, and he lasted maybe one period. One period for us is only like three days or four days. Uh, uh, Yandy Diaz, I know we talked about him, but he's also available at 19% of leagues. Uh, do you still believe in Yandy Diaz? There's just another situation where Tampa is just too many platoon yeah. situations. Going I on. will always believe in Yandy Diaz. He has lost the launch angle gains that he found in 2019 which has completely sapped him of power. But if you play in an OBP league, it's like the equivalent of getting Tim Anderson in a regular batting average league. His on base is just that good. He never strikes out. He walks. And like I mentioned earlier, Tampa likes to reward those guys that get on base. And Yandy Diaz is doing that. Um, G-Man Choi coming in is going to throw a little bit of a wrench into the plans, but uh, still like Yandy Diaz, still holding out hope that he gets some more fly balls and therefore more home runs because he always hits the crap out of the ball. All right. Nearing the end of this list, uh, Jonathan Daza, who's only owning 10% of leagues, had a pretty good week last week, stinker of a week this week. Uh, would you take a risk on Daza for the Colorado Rockies? The only reason I would is I'd be holding out hope that maybe he's like the new Rymel Tapia. Uh He's been an okay hitter, in the, a pretty good hitter in the minors, um, and he's in a b- big ballpark. He's batting 324 this year. Um, I just feel like it's going to be a lot of lot of empty average, um, and you're really going to be relying on some stolen bases here to make him more relevant. But the batting average should be good. I believe – I'm trying to think if he's a big ground ball guy. Yeah, ground ball percent over 50, and then the minors, it's always been high 40s. But the line drive percent – uh, line drive percentage so far is good. Um, hits to all fields, and he plays in Colorado. So, yeah, if you need batting average help, go for it. He's Rymel, right-handed Rymel. That's his nickname. Uh, <laughs> Kike, Kike Hernandez is uh, returning return from injury, 37% on. You're already shaking no. Okay. No, I don't. I do not like Kike Hernandez I at all. I do not like Kike Hernandez at all. I do not like him. No, I don't. <laughs> Oh, that's a horrible Dr. Seuss. Uh, Jaron Duran, it seems like we're always talking about him. It seems like he's always rising a little bit by a little bit, already at 25% this week. Uh, ownership rate. Do you st- – I mean, this uh, it sounds like the Red Sox are not in a hurry to get him, but is it is he another one of those guys where you have to stash and just – Yeah, st- yeah, he needs to be stashed now. Uh, Carlos left in the comments that he is holding on Franco to the moon. I am holding on to Duran to the moon. Like I need him up in several leagues. I have had him stash since draft day. Yeah. And it's just like digging a hole in my bench. But I just know the power gains are real. He hit a 475 foot and a 480 foot home run in the same game, which lends me to believe that that they're playing with the 2019 Major League Ball. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the power gains are legit. The speed is legit. The bat, the hit tool is legit. I don't know what Boston's waiting on. All right. Next guy on the list, 24% owned for the St. Louis Cardinals, Harrison Bader, an old favorite of mine, but I don't know what's going on with them um, in terms of not meeting that potential. Do you still believe in Harrison Bader as a late blooming prospect? He's just always going to be the home or the defense over offense player. Yeah. And that's okay. He's going to run into the occasional home run, hit some or get some stolen bases. He has four home runs, three stolen bases so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
The expected batting average is up, which is interesting to see. I'd like to dig more into why that is, even though his line drive percentage has gone down. Fly ball percentage has gone up. Um, Struggling against fastballs this year, only batting 150, uh, but he is crushing on some breaking balls, batting 345 with three of his four home runs coming against breaking pitches. Uh, he's just always trying to lift the ball and he's a small guy. Uh, he does get pretty good max EV 111 so far. Um, it's just, you always worry so far, uh, his strikeout rates only 14% uh, in the th- four year- seasons prior 26, 29, 28, 32. Um, so he might be skipping by on the seat of his pants that he hasn't struck out as much, but, uh, He's if you're really hurt in terms of injuries, then, yeah, he might be a guy to just add and hope for the best. All right. Freddie Galvez at 25 percent. Yes or no? Uh, probably not. Uh, All right. I mean, he, he did better last year than people expected. Um, I just don't know. 260. Yeah, he's he's fine. I'm not going crazy to go get him. But if I have a couple of injuries, then sure. Uh, speaking of Wander Franco, he just got traded in my league right now. Uh, one, I, th- I thought you were about to say he just got traded. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. Well, you only only because you mentioned that uh, with the what's his face uh, with Carlos saying that he's holding him on to uh, all the way to the moon. Well, somebody did, gave up on him already. Who did he get? Or who did he get? Uh, back? So you, so you know my friend Kerry, right? Uh, from uh, he's been on the show before. Stephen uh, Kerry. Yeah, the White Sox yeah. fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he he traded Wander Franco, and it looks like is that Austin Nola or. Aaron. Oh, Austin Nola. So Wander Franco and Austin Nola for Jose Barrios. No draft picks are involved. Have a good night, everybody. Oh, wow. Oh, he's disappointed. <laughs> Steven, you're a friend of the show and you're a friend of mine. What the hell are you thinking? <laughs> uh, maybe he believes in Jose Barrios, hey, you know. Wander Franco in my 30 team dynasty got traded, I think, three times either last year in 2019. The dude got passed around. I think he only got proper value traded once. One of them, he the guy got like nothing in return. And I was just like shaking my head. But wow, <laughs> that's that's light. That is very, very light. Uh, moving on, Garrett Cooper, 19% owned. Uh, I know you might have mentioned him already. Yeah, you're to the moon. He, he's he's taking jobs, uh, played appearances away from Adam Duvall. Even though Adam Duvall is like third in the league in RBIs, at least in the National League, uh, he has hit a bit of a skid. Garrett Cooper is getting hot, had the walk-off home run last night against the Mets. And if you ask me, Garrett Cooper is the better all-around hitter. Duvall is more all-or-nothing. Uh, He's done well in runners in scoring position, hence why he has a lot of RBIs. But I think they see Garrett Cooper as the guy that they want to get going. He's younger and under control and just better. All right, final four for you, and then we can call it a quits for tonight and get ready for tomorrow night Uh, as this thing loads up. Brendan Rodgers, who I just got done listening to one of those uh, The Athletics uh, Fantasy Baseball podcasts with DVR, and they talked a lot about Brendan Rodgers a lot. Uh, where they argue that if you're in a league, you want to be the guy who either strikes out or hits a home run with Brendan Rodgers because former top-level prospect, potential still there, might be healthy for the first time in his life, 
What you, what's your <laughs> how many times have we said that? About uh, he was hurt He was hurt times. last year, but he might be healthy this year. This might be the year. God damn it. Okay, it's so kind like, of shocking that Brendan Rogers is only 24 years old. Yeah. Because yeah. I have enough Brendan Rogers fatigue that I feel like I've been waiting on him for 24 years. It seems like it, right? It seems like it, but okay, so yes or no on Brendan Rogers. Uh no. Really, no, I, just I, like that. I, I can't, I don't trust it. And even when he has played, he hasn't been very good. And maybe he's one of those guys that like in 2025, 20, when he's still only 27 or 28 years old, turns into an all-star. But yeah, um, in a redraft, maybe a dynasty, this is a, a time you send a really cheap buy low offer <laughs> and try and get them and rip somebody off and just hold on to that lottery ticket. But yeah. in a redraft, I have no wanting for Brendan Rodgers at all. And he, he's owning 30% of CBS sports leagues. Uh, here's an old favorite of yours, Josh Naylor. I think he's an old favorite. I, I forget if it's Josh Naylor or Tyler Naquin, who's one of your old favorites for the Cleveland team. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Okay, 21% owned Josh Naylor, yes or no? I like Josh Naylor. I worry that the power is just not going to come. I know he has a good hit tool. Um, but he, it's so funny because he's kind of a big huskier guy and he just doesn't hit for much power. Yeah, and strange. to me, that that really caps his um, upside. And right now, this year, the Cleveland lineup is a bit of a mess. He's still only 23 years old, um, has shown a elite level max EV of 114. Uh, still trying to figure out breaking pitches is absolutely ripping fastballs like he always has done. Uh, he had one of the best like AAA PCL seasons I've ever seen. Like it was like something out of this world, even better than it was up there with Keston Harris. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's a guy I like. He needs to be DHing or playing first base, and they keep putting him in the outfield. Uh, but with Framil Reyes out, they're really going to lean on Josh Naylor. So maybe he steps up to the task. All right. I was going to say Matt Beatty's one of the, the last guy here, but man, oh, actually, no, I got one more guy after him, but man, I just don't see any reason to own him. Even at 13% own, I don't see any value. Do you see value in Matt Beatty or can we move on? Now? Is he, is he getting playing time? I, mean, uh, I thought he was, game but I logs, guess, I guess um, not. No, uh, he's got, he's played the last two days, pinch hits two days before that start. Um, the place, man. a lot of strikeouts. I mean, his stat line looks good this year. 290. Yeah. Average 395 on base. Um, slugging is low. Uh, he he seems like a fifth outfielder pinch hitting bat for the Dodgers. So probably not fantasy relevant. All right, move on. Yeah, he's on the bench according to roster resource for the Dodgers. And that's saying something because the Dodgers are injured everywhere. So yeah. you would think that they would use a guy like him, but I guess not. Okay, last guy, Taylor Ward. It seems like I've been hearing about Taylor Ward since forever and a day now. 9% own. Uh, he's a corner outfielder. I could have sworn he started his career as a second baseman. He's been getting a lot of playing time lately. I'm not, I, I, I'm not hundred percent. I'm not hundred percent sure as to why, but what can you tell me about Taylor Ward? So Taylor Ward is getting playing time due to Mike Trout being out. Um, he has stepped in playing right field. Uh, uh, okay. Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh are still in AAA. Joe Adele has seven home runs so far in only 15 games, but striking out a lot. Brendan Marsh would probably be the guy that gets called up. But even then, Taylor Ward might have a job. 90th percentile in sprint speed. Uh, I do believe he was a top prospect, so that might be why you've heard of him for so long. A long time ago he was. <laughs> uh, yeah, good defensive player uh, so far this year. 
The big red flag I see is he can hit a fastball. Congratulations, dude. Um, 294 batting average, 618 slugging against. Um, but versus breaking balls and off speed, he has 21 at-bats that ended in them, eight strikeouts and one hit, which was a single. He's whiffing 58% of the time first breaking pitches and 43% of the time pers- uh, up, yeah, 43% of the time versus off speed. Um, he's a dead red hitter, fast, plays good defense, but no, I'm not really sure that's the he's the grenade I'm jumping on to save my season. So according to Fangraphs, he was a top 15 uh, prospect for the Angels farm system. So not not overall. Uh, OK, I, I felt like one time he used to be like a top 100 guy, like a I, long time ago. Maybe. I feel like at one point, according to Baseball America, he might have been top five in the Angels organization. Okay. But uh, yeah, uh, it, I mean, it's it feels like it's been forever and a day since. He's so been he relevant. started off as a catcher. Oh, he I was drafted as a catcher. Wow. Yeah. And then he was third base. I'm trying to see if he ever played second base. Uh, by the way, uh, according to roster resource, while you look that up, he is listed, uh, with a platoon with, uh, Jose Rojas at right field. Yeah. So, Rojas left-handed ward, right-handed. That makes sense. And your guy Juan Lagar is getting some playing time, uh, being, being the next Mike Trout for the angels. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Juan Lagar is Mike Trout. If only he did that for the Mets. Well, defensively, he might be. <laughs> what, below average for the last three years? Oh, hey, man, you know what? As long as Mike Trout stays in center field, that war will just continue to rise higher and higher and higher. Okay, so Taylor Ward never played uh, second base. He played catcher from 2015 to 2017. 2018 became a third baseman. And 2019 became an outfielder. And he's actually pretty good of an out. It's kind of crazy that a guy who catched or caught for four years and probably all throughout college and high school is 90th percentile on sprint speed. Who does he think he is? Isaiah Kiner Falefa? <laughs> oh, that, he's having a, man, he's <laughs> that guy, a Falefa, uh, Kiner Falefa <laughs> superseding any expectation I had of the guy. I did I, not. I always see. thought it was just going to be like empty batting average with like 15 steals, which is probably like a cheat code if he's catcher eligible in your league, yeah. but it's, um, I don't know. The he, offense is still boring to me. But he, he, I, I could have sworn he's top three in my points league. That's how much uh, of an impact he's made at the at his position. At his position, yeah. I should say. Yeah, he's batting two ninety and so has at shortstop, at shortstop, he's ten top. stolen bases and five home runs so far. And that's why he's top. He's in the top because of that. Um, so that that was weird. But as a catcher, if he still had catcher eligibility, I mean, you you'd be making out like a bandit right now. But unfortunately, he doesn't have that eligibility anymore. Uh, I'm trying to see where ta- uh, some of Taylor Ward's like rankings elsewhere, but uh, it's not what it used to be, Sean. Th- these these websites are getting lazy with their uh, maintenance. Uh, he is uh, Taylor Ward is a former first rounder. I think you might have mentioned that already. But oh wait 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 oh I gotta buy I gotta buy a subscription. That shit used to be free. <laughs> damn it! Damn you, Baseball America! All right, well I know what I saw, or I think I know what I saw. <laughs> Anyway, that's a good place to stop there, Sean. We do have other podcasts again tomorrow. We're going to go after Dong City Monday night. Uh, uh, so that's uh, Monday night is usually for reserved for Dong City, but you're going to get yourselves a double header of baseball podcasting with Sean and I going in immediately after Dong City ends. Uh, then we have the Audible over at the Football Life uh, Facebook group uh, with Matt and Randy. Uh, it's the dog days of uh, football, NFL off season. I don't know what the hell's going on. Mini camps. I think it's the mini camps, voluntary camps, 
involuntary voluntary camps. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't think we want to talk about involuntary camps. <laughs> it's the unwritten rules of the NFL. You gotta you gotta God. show up to those involuntary voluntary camps. Um, <laughs> the Workshop Podcast, Wrestling Life uh, with uh, Corey and Jason. Uh, I'm not quite. Oh, uh, apparently the big controversy is that they use zombies for one of the pay per views over at WWE. Oh no! I think they might have talked about that already, but I I did not know this. I just found out this morning that uh, the WWE made some a ton of money because they were doing a cross promotion for a new movie starring their former wrestler Dave Bautista. So maybe it's a good thing to use zombies and. Oh yes, that the new Netflix produced one. I want to watch it. It's, it kind of looks like one of those mindless action flicks. But you oh, know. is that the Army of Darkness one? I well, yeah, don't they, know. yeah, it's like a zombie heist, Vegas heist movie. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh. Maybe it will be interesting. Did it need WWE to get involved? I don't know. But did Vince McMahon make a dollar? That's all that matters. What did it cost? <laughs> oh, over a million dollars. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Who's laughing now, <laughs> pal? <laughs> uh, what's the other? Oh, uh, the Step Back Basketball Podcast. Uh, playoffs. The playoffs are here for the NBA. Uh, we're seeing some a lot of high drama, a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, so never a dull moment in the NBA, even when people say it, the NBA is dull. But now's the time to keep an eye on it because it's, now it's now they're playing for real now. They're, they're all being <laughs> it's serious for real now. For realsies now. Uh, and then every Sunday morning, except for this upcoming Sunday because it's Memorial Day weekend, we want to take a break from all this uh, for at least one week. Uh, it's the Total Basis Podcast, bringing you the best informa- informative baseball podcast anywhere out there. For Sean, I am Felipe. We will see you next time.